for next year very mm. early for next year <laughs> it's very halloweeny when we're recording it yeah it's incredibly <laughs> halloweeny when we're recording it anyway welcome to the safer app podcast a podcast about old school games and the modern games inspired by them i am one of your hosts dia mike who is going to be introduced today as dracula good evening because we're covering Ravenloft, I-6, the original module. And joining me is the Invisible Man himself, DM Jim. If everyone would just leave me alone in my lab, there wouldn't be a movie. Although, thinking <laughs> about it, I wonder if Corbett should have been the Invisible Man. No. Fire bad! And over there is DM Corbett, Frankenstein's monster! Ah! Auto-editing good. <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, is DM Liz, who is David S. Pumpkins! <laughs> Any questions? Lots. Lots of questions. Like, who, who the hell is that? <laughs> I'm my own thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Where, where are you from? Ibiza. <laughs> but he doesn't have a Spanish accent. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about I-6 Ravenloft, which came out in 1983. Ah. Uh... The good old days. 40 years ago. Silence. I'm pretty sure they wrote it in hieroglyphics. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all written in Sanskrit on clay tablets. <laughs> Can you imagine, just for a minute, if it was 1983 and we were doing this podcast reviewing something from 1943? It doesn't seem the same, does it? No, it doesn't, because that would be World War II. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, well, Mike that's really old. That. Well, 40 years from, oh, wait. So what about this Tolkien guy? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> He's a hack. He's never going to catch on. Oh, what, the Hobbit guy? Yeah, nobody's going to read his stuff. He writes kids stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go into a pod break. And when we come back, we'll deal with first impressions. 
Here at Thistle Dungeon, we know times are tough. My wife was pregnant with our fifth album when they told me they didn't need no Cooper no more at the Shady Dragon Trading Post. I had the basic rule books and only a worn out copy of B2. I thought the adventures were over for me and my group. Then I discovered this old dungeon. Thanks to this old dungeon, my group and I are back at gaming. And those caves are more chaotic than ever. With all the money I've spent on minis, I don't have the cash for those newfangled 200-page full-color adventures. But thanks to this old dungeon, I've been running my group through the same copy of Against the Giants since 2018. It was easy after listening to them. I just replaced the giants with ogres, then minotaurs, then werebores, then magically enlarged kobolds. This old dungeon is the program where old adventures are made new again. Come listen to hosts Bill, Edwin, and Lou as they reminisce about classic game publications and discuss how to renovate them for an all-new tabletop experience. Catch This Old Dungeon from your podcatcher of choice. Hey everyone, this is Tim from Tomorrow Zen Podcast. If you're interested in post-apocalyptic Morrow Project, then Tomorrow Zen Podcast is for you. You can hear us at tomorrowzen.org, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, and more. Now it's time for the next thing that's gonna happen, and here it is. It's just a first impression. I could be totally wrong It's only a first impression And only impression is strong It never can hurt First impressions Now before we really get started, let me ask Who bought this in 1983? Nope 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 Just me Just you Weirdo yeah. Everyone point at the freak I think you're to be complimented <laughs> on your good taste What were you in 1983, like 10? That's it, isn't it? Yeah, let's say it is. Yeah, I remember when this came out and picked it up partially for the cover itself with that painting. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Whose pick was this? Was this your pick? My pick. It was my pick because I thought it was originally going to be for Halloween. But But it's good and I'm going to enjoy reviewing it. You sure you picked it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just for that, next time around, I'm picking Ravenloft 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo? House on Griffin Hill. <laughs> Which is bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Anyway. Excellent choice. Like a fine wine. <laughs> I picked this. I remember getting it at the time, and it was just so different from any other TSR modules that had come out beforehand. Most of them for good reasons, some bad. But yeah, that cover and the interior maps which were not only just cool maps, but this was the first time I ever recall seeing the 3D maps. Kind of spliced side castle look, but but at an angle, so you got a good view. Hang on, mm. there goes one of my top fives. <laughs> you can still choose it. Uh, how often do I get to choose maps? Come on. Anyway, that's my first impression. Jim! In 1983, we were savage little first edition AD&D guys, but we'd been playing long enough that we were all swept up in our own world. I was primarily, at that time, playing my brother's universe, and we didn't use store-bought adventures at that point. But I remember when it came out and what a big freaking deal it was at the time, everybody raving about it. One of the things I enjoy about this show is when somebody picks something like this and I read it for the first time in 2023, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this This was created in 1983. This is so good. In fact, as Corbett was pointing out, it was actually made five years earlier. It was just well, they being weren't here for that. Play tested. <laughs> 
I'm trying to give credit where credit's due. It was playtested by Tracy and Laura Hickman at their home game for several years. So I'm all in on this one. I will struggle to come up with biting critiques of it, I think. I have faith. Biting critiques? <laughs> ha, 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 ha. I'm trying, man. <laughs> Thanks <Ooh>. for that. <laughs> Ooh. All right, uh, Corbett. I wasn't really much of a vampire-type fan. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they'd try to make a game out of it or something if they got this taken off. So you'd wind up with, like, whole kinds of groupies that's, running around. and <laughs> That's that's madness, Corbett. Yeah. I know, madness. I know. But at the time, uh, 83, there was a movie series that had just finished up called um, Star Wars about then. You probably haven't heard of it. It's an obscure movie series. Never but... heard of it, no. Oh, wait, they made a movie off Car Wars? That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that would have been, it was called Mad Max. <laughs> Death Race 2000. Death yeah. Race 2000, yes. But no, I was, I was really more into space stuff. So to to go back and, and reread it, I kind of, I'm on board with Jim, like to go back and reread something that was a big deal. And it really was. It was huge. There were people playing it all over the place, not telling you what the secrets were, even though after kind of rereading it, like, oh, it would, they really designed it well to never be the same game twice. Yeah. You could do it over and over and over and over again, and it would never be the same game. I can't help but think that that may have something to do with his home group being the playtesters for like five years. Well, maybe. So. I dug a lot into the history when I started reading it. Like, wait a minute, why would they do this? And I went back and like, they're um, Mormons. I thought that was interesting. Oh, I missed that part. That's cool. Yeah, they're, they're a couple, which is, you know, you never see couples together doing something in role playing. That's just impossible. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, it was a fun reread, for sure. Lots of neat ideas that like, oh, that's how that became a thing. Because they really defined what, you know, I shouldn't go into too much, should I? No, you probably shouldn't, or Jim will mark more off his list. Yeah, he's, he's already gone through the top three. <laughs> okay, Liz? Well, as we've already said earlier, none of us purchased this game at the time except for you. <laughs> <laughs> but my first impressions reading it, I really enjoyed all of the cheesy gothic novel tropes that were used within the adventure. Mm. I have read plenty of them over the years. And in fact, I am reading one which makes fun of them right now. And the Hickmans included all the standard ingredients. You've got the lonely, forbidding countryside, a band of Romany with an old fortune teller, a haunted castle, dark and stormy night, innocent damsel in distress the monster-slash-anti-hero with the tragic backstory, they ticked all the boxes, and kudos to them for that. I had a really good time reading through this. Organ playing? <laughs> I can tell you liked it because you slipped into a little voice acting right there. <laughs> very little, very little. Uh, uh, uh. Which reminds me to make a caveat at the beginning of this. We will occasionally slip into using the term gypsy. Oh, thank you. That is because that's what it's called in the module. Yeah, that's one of my top five, too. It's like, this does not age well. No, <laughs> but, you know, when we refer, we'll try to keep it to Romani, but it might slip every now and then. That is, it is not intentional. It's the 1980s. Ladies and gentlemen, the 1980s. Yeah, we don't have to tippy-toe around any of that. We could just talk about it like grown-ups in 2023, yeah. right? Right. I just want to make sure everybody knows we know what we're saying is awkward. We're going to try to avoid it, but it may slip every now and then. So don't send us hate mail. Unless it means you're actually going to write us, in which case, go ahead. We need <laughs> emails. 
And if they were going to write us, where would they write us, Corbett? Oh, smack. <laughs> Why do you keep giving us pop quizzes? Because <laughs> I'm a professor. I can't help it. Podcast at gmail.com. Yay! <laughs> you might pass. I get a lolly. <laughs> It's a smiley face. We were just talking in the warm-up that there is apparently some mystery problem with the contact form on the website. So if you're having that problem, please use save or die. Save. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Whoops. Save or half podcast at gmail.com. Someone's staying after school. <laughs> you don't get a lot. Send all your hate mail to save or die podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go into Mike and the Mechanics. It's time for Mike and the Mechanics. Sorry, sorry. That's Mike and the Mechanics of the game. My bad. If we need to explain how to play classic or first edition AD&D to you, you might be listening to the wrong podcast. I will, however, point out, because this, as Liz pointed out to me, this is a mechanic, and I used it when I ran this. I actually ran this at Origins 84. It was in the open gaming areas, but I had a huge table of people. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that is so cool. I'm dying to hear how that went. Ah, uh, oh, they were, as with a lot of con games, they broke into like four different groups of three players each. Some go in the front door. Some are climbing up the side to the top <laughs> of the tower. Others are looking to see if there's a way up the cliff that they can try to... <laughs> Another's desperately looking for the catacombs, which they know has to be here somewhere because this is a vampire's castle, so obviously there's got to be catacombs. And I'm just rolling and rolling and rolling. But Corbett hinted on this, and the Romani who are waiting out there that you go to their campsite and meet a fortune teller who tells your fortune. There's a system where you can use playing cards. You take out a few of the playing cards beforehand for each suit in order to have the right number. And depending on which cards are drawn is the goal of the adventure. So the main vampire, Strad von Zarovic, goals can change or your goals can change from adventure to adventure that way you can run this several times and that is a nifty mechanic if you don't have cards there is a a percentile rolling system so you can roll on the tables to get the same effect but you know having the cards there would be a lot of extra cool extras there and that is a nifty thing that I don't recall in being any other AD&D modules. Incredibly innovative for 1983. Yeah, that was awesome. And it frankly, it's even better than a rumor table, which this does not what? have. Well, it makes a module reusable right out of the box. Right, right. You don't have to, you know, and yeah, you know, you can imagine it yourself after getting familiar with it. But this, it just hands it to you. Mm-hmm. Which, as a DM, even you're not absolutely sure how, what's going to be the goal, which is a lot of fun in, in and of itself. So, top five. The Save for Half Top Five. In five, four, three, two. 
This time we'll start with David S. Pumpkins. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, so does that make uh, Corbett and Jim the Bone Boys? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that up to the imagination of the listeners. <laughs> the editing table in my frontal lobes just slammed shut. I have nothing to say back to that. <laughs> Somebody's going to be looking on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Okay, top five. I guess two jump off of um, Mike and the Mechanics, um, one of the things that I did write down connected with that mechanic of the using the cards to you know figure out the thing. It's kind of funny in a sad sort of way that in the module, they had to specifically point out that the mechanic does not resemble any real or mystical fortune-telling process. I almost mentioned that, but I remembered it was on your list, so I yeah, held back. Yeah, it's like, because satanic panic. Mm. So it's like, well, of course it's not, but they had to cover their butts. It's like, this isn't real, guys, okay? You know, like, <laughs> oh. you know what's funny? In the new version, they actually sell you a tarot deck. <laughs> I think that's cool. It is you know? cool, but it's funny. But yeah, <laughs> in retrospect. In, in retrospect, yes. No, no, no. It's not real. New version. Let's make this as real looking as possible. Possible. <laughs> With a full deck. Is it a genuine tarot deck or is it just their kind of faux tarot it, deck -y? It's a it's a Ravenloft specific tarot deck. Okay. So it's it's that's specific cool. for the game. My kids have been playing it for months, actually. So it's kind of funny that you picked yeah. it. Ah, <laughs> awesome. Okay. Anyway. Well, Corbett. Okay. I want to talk about the elephant in the room, or <laughs> Strahd. <laughs> the main bad guy is Strahd. He is a vampire, which basically is like a vampire, but without the extra E. It kicks more butt. One of the cool things, the character-wise, is that they made a main villain. And they actually specifically go through like how to play him. How to play him as a super evil genius. He's not an idiot who runs out and gets hit by the first sword. I think... This is something that probably anybody should really reference to kind of learn how to play a good villain as far as a role-playing perspective. And I think I figured out the mechanic that works best. You have to think about him. He's, a, he's a, an immortal, all-powerful being who's love-struck and has this problem. So obviously you have to think of the first thing that comes to mind, T-Swift. Makes perfect sense. Taylor Swift is love-struck, all-powerful, immortal being, drains people's life. Really simple. So you're saying run Strahd likes Taylor Smith. Taylor Swift. Come so, on. Whatever. I'm sorry. I'm not a Swifty. Well, what about Taylor Sith? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get the villain part there. You know, Taylor Sith. That's a good point. Well, Taylor Smith could be a combination of Taylor Swift and Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. <laughs> oh, wow. Actually, ooh, that's a good call. That is a good one. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> nice, indubitably. Nice save. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yep. My number five is Adventure Pass. It all started right here in 1983. This thing is such a well-written hybrid between an out-and-out -out railroad adventure, but also a sandbox. Lots of sandbox mm. to play in. People try and do that to this very day, and it's a form of adventure that I think is much abused. But right here, it's just a work of art, and it speaks to Jim Rule number four. Good writing fixes everything. I would mm. run this. I would play in it. It would still work today. 
Corbett talking about there's a, a modern version of it makes me just want to go run and buy that and read it and see uh, if it compares. Actually, they brought in the original writers, so yeah. Oh, well, with the Hickmanson, I'm sure it's fantastic. Uh, they did an overlay that's a lot like the more modern style, but they still have all the elements because they got on all the original staff writers and some of the artists. So. Well, it's also like huge too, isn't it, compared to this? Uh, it's It took them months to go through it instead of, you know, a night. I don't have right. some of Liz's oh. same media references, but I was getting like the old Universal horror films, the really good ones before they oh, started yeah. getting silly, mm-hmm. crossed with uh, Dark Shadows, because I grew up watching Dark Shadows. And uh, Dark Shadows, as much as you could in daytime TV in the 70s, was very, you know, the organs always, organs always grinding in the upstairs somewhere playing music. And Jim just took one of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Fair's fair. I'll shut up now then. (laughs) That's my five. My five. Strahd zombies. I loved the zombies in this thing. It's a vampire. Give them weaker undead as minions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Sure. But Strahd zombies. You cut the limbs off. And like a troll, the limbs keep fighting. Mm-hmm. As a DM, this warmed the cockles of my heart. <laughs> you have a heart? Yeah. I keep it behind my, my DM screen in formaldehyde. Uh, uh. You've, you've read the spell. It's part of the lichdom thing. Yeah. <laughs> Strahd zombies. All the monsters in this are pretty good. Even the quote-unquote traditionals ones are given a bit more of a zing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that. Again, like Liz was saying, it kind of leans heavy into the gothic 1930s Dracula movie kind of thing, or hammer horror. It's really cool. And Strahd, I will also say, was interesting because it was the first, quote-unquote, kind of tragic villain Mm. I ever ran into in a published D&D adventure. You know, nobody has any sympathy for Lolf. Chop her head off, you check her spleen for emeralds, you know, you're done. That's pretty much standard. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, four, Liz. Well, I guess I'll get the, the gypsy thing out of the way. Usage of the term gypsy, as Mike mentioned as the warning before we started getting into the episode, it doesn't really age well in today's world, but, you know, it's like... Mike also said that for its time, this wasn't something that even occurred to the average person. Clearly, it wasn't considered a problem at the time of this module's writing. I don't hold it against the adventure. They're extremely stereotypical in the module. But again, they are being used entirely as a gothic horror trope. So Straight out being, of Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, they're being treated very tropishly, I guess. It's Definitely something that a newer reader of the adventure needs to keep in mind. Fair enough. Corbett? I'll go for a negative two. Let's stab at it for a bit. (laughs) Don't forget a wooden stake. Something I felt was missing. Liz is right. You can totally get a lot of the tropes and just the feel of the old gothic style writing, the old uh, classic horror movies. I really felt like if I were running this, I would want to make a Renfield character. 
you know, some sort of puppet character to run around, mislead the heroes to different spots or to lead them to different spots and to fill them in on some of the backstory as it goes. It'd be an easy kind of way to adjust the story. Granted, he would probably be stabbed and killed really quickly. (laughs) Well, there is kind of a Renfield character, but he's way up in the castle. So you've got to get pretty deep in the weeds before you run into him. And that's the thing. He should be out there. It just doesn't feel like Renfield. It doesn't feel like it feels like that was missing. If anything, he should have been on that carriage, yeah. you know, yeah. the one waiting on the party. Yeah, well, but on the thing. other hand, if you had someone like that to give the details and stuff, that would make the whole thing feel more railroady to me. Because well, you kind of, it's kind of like, okay, here's a character, and his whole purpose is to lead you towards where you're supposed to go. Why does Renfield have a question mark floating over his head? <laughs> yeah, that, that's not good no, adventure no. writing, because the PCs are going to murder that guy within 30 seconds of meeting him anyway, and there go all his plot hooks, right? See, that's that's more likely. Yeah. Remember, Liz, when you were talking about that carriage with the black horses, what was the first thing I said? He's like, I'm not getting in that. (laughs) Okay, the second thing I said, (laughs) running this, I'd make those nightmares. Yeah. I I wouldn't just make them horses. I'd make them nightmares. That way, if the party decides, well, we're going to steal some horses. (laughs) No, you're not. Burning their resources that early in this adventure would be a tragic error. (laughs) I tell you what, if that carriage did have a couple of nightmares pulling it, my character would definitely not be getting in there. It's like, I'm sorry, I'll I'll go on foot. (laughs) That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'll walk. Okay. Jim? I believe this may be the first TSR published adventure illustrated entirely both by a single artist and with a fully painted interior art, all by Clyde Caldwell, Mm. no less. And that is at least 50% of what made me fall in love with this. I imagine that in the future editions, the interior illustrations are probably in full color. And there's a way to do that too, genuflect to the uh, to the genre. You just do famous monsters of film land or eerie magazine painted art, which is what Clyde kind of did with the cover for this thing. Yeah, but I don't think it would be much benefited by that. Those black and white interior, I assume it's some kind of ink wash. Couldn't make out exactly what medium was used, but they're, but they're definitely painted with a brush, and that is just super nice. And I I like that Tracy Hickman and Laura Hickman were. At the helm of that, because Tracy later goes on to partner with Margaret Weiss on the giant Dragonlance setting and adventures and all that stuff. By that time, okay, now we're intentionally establishing a signature art look with Larry Elmore. So this was very yeah. pioneering. If, mm-hmm. I'd have, if I'd have bought this in 1983, I would have just been, what, what, what? <laughs> you know, no black and white line art. It's all painted and all by the same guy. And he's great. You know, I do like Clyde, Clyde Caldwell, but... I, I will admit a lot of his art, and it's good. It's good. Don't get me wrong, but it looks like strippers. Oh, you're just a little. <laughs> you're just a little. You're going to get the letter from the old white guys now, boy. You know, I, I still remember the cover with Strahd on it, and he didn't strike me as a stripper at all. I don't know what you're talking about. I think about. he'd dance for you. <laughs> Although I guess we only saw him from the chest up. So Again, you know. imagine him as Taylor Swift. It's easier. <laughs> I don't know that it's easier, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. That was my four. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> my four. I'm going to get on the slight negative bandwagon. I don't know if this was the first module that it happened in, but it was the first module I noticed it in. Box text. You hush your mouth. <laughs> I don't like 
box text normally. And I normal and I if I had to come down on one side or the other, I'm not a huge fan of this one, but I will at least admit that they're going for an ambiance here. I mean, half this module is ambiance. And for that, you might need to give a little hints on how to describe things. Maybe not full box text, but maybe a paragraph telling the DM, bring this out, bring that out, discuss this or that, and so on. So I will grumble an old man shouting at clouds a little bit, but I will admit that it may have a rationale here. Liz, three. Uh, One of the things that I liked about this was that for such a relatively small module, it packs in a lot of possible encounter areas. Well, yeah, the castle alone's got like 88 areas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's huge. The castle is huge. And then you add the wilderness and the town areas in. There is a lot for players to interact with, despite the fact that my PDF is a 40-page PDF, and part of that are front and back covers and maps. There's a lot packed into this. Mm -hmm. And you've got a good mix of encounter types as well. You can fight things, you can deal with clever tricks and traps, or if you're smarter than I am when playing an adventure, you can try to solve puzzles. (laughs) Yeah, puzzles. Whatever you as a player are good at, there is going to be something of it in this adventure for you. It was very well crafted with lots of different things. I wonder if that's a reflection of the cards and having different goals at different times. That would make it more complicated to construct. Well, that's what I mean. Maybe that's why there is a lot of variance in types of encounters because, well, you know, depending on what you're doing, you could be doing all sorts of different stuff. Well, I agree with you though, Liz. You know how like stand-ups have their tight five? The actual written adventure part is just 32. So this is like a tight Mm -hmm. 32. Yeah. And that's not even counting the new monsters. Or that is counting the new monsters. Sorry. So that Mm -hmm. takes up a couple of pages right there and, and magic items. Okay, Corbett, three. You know, you guys have been whittling away at a lot of my top fives, but I think it's funny. Nobody's mentioned the most important character in the whole thing. And much like Taylor Swift, it does encompass everything. You're really on that Taylor Swift stick, aren't you? <laughs> Are you a Swifty? Well, no, my daughter and me have been having... It's a whole other thing. It's just <laughs> kind of funny. Next, it'll be vampiric ladders. You watch. No, 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 no. At least it's better than Patrick Swayze. You were stuck on him for episodes. <laughs> Who could not be stuck on Patrick Swayze? And it doesn't matter. The fog. <laughs> Nobody's oh, mentioned the fog. There you oh go. my gosh. Talk about railroading. That's the best railroad device I've ever seen. Okay, there goes my three. <laughs> <laughs> Got you back. See what you get for taking away my box text? It was my box text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the top five, both a show format and an on air bingo game. <laughs> <laughs> But not the fog. The fog keeps the characters in. There's a specific, po- it's a poison gas, basically, that is inert as long as you're in the fog, which is inside the world of Ravenloft. But if you leave, then you start to die. And you have like, I think, 24 hours or you, you if you don't return back to the fog, you will die. They don't really give a way to cure it either. So that's pretty Yeah, brutal. there is. Is there? You complete the adventure. Well, Kill Strahd. <laughs> yeah. or, or or find that potion that you're not going to find. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's a pretty, pretty rough way to force your players to stay. But at the same time, it's kind of neat and it gives the effect of the world. It's very convention tournamenty. 
Although I presume it's mostly there because that was how he was doing his playtests, you know, to keep people on track rather than like Liz and I did in that Forgotten Realms adventure when it was getting too hard and we just said, screw it, we're we're leaving. Well, but the leech god, don't care. Let Elminster take care of it. Not our problem. (laughs) We're going to stay well away from the coast. It reminded me of that Twilight Zone episode, the one where that town was surrounded by this weird fog and anyone who ran into it, you never saw them again. The little boy, Bill Moomy, was basically, he created the fog. You don't know what happened to the rest of the world. And he was just domineering everything inside that little town. A very Charlie X. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a good life. It's kind of what this adventure reminded me of as far as Ravenloft, the town. You're stuck here and you have no idea what's going on in the outside world anymore if you're one of the villagers. As long as Strahd or the boy is alive, there you will never get to leave. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Jim? The thing I freaking love most about this adventure is it was from 1983 and now that i know a little of the history the hickmans had been playing DD all along because this adventure is still set in that brutal world of first edition AD&D. the big boss villain is strahd but he's gonna have to race the rest of the monsters on the wandering monster table to drain pc life levels which is the most gary gygax screw you game mechanic ever <laughs> Yeah, the ones in the castle? Yeah. Holy crap. The Wandering Monster list has race, specters, a groaning spirit, other vampires, and depending on how the adventure goes, maybe even one of your party Strahd caught alone and polymorphed into a vampire. So, you know, <laughs> and then after you're already down to level zero and out of life levels, there are rust monsters on that table to take care of all your weapons and armor. Don't blow your high-level spell slots just trying to get into the adventure because you're going to need them later. There goes my number two. Thanks, Jim. I'm going to get us some mail now. Those younger (laughs) players who have their blog posts about how wrong Tumahars is, no. That's the way we played then. And Tumahars is a poor example because that is a tournament module, and you should know going into it you're all going to die. But if this thing dropped in the middle of a campaign, it's time for everybody's top-notch, high-level performance just to try and get through it. Yeah, it's all a question of mindset. I mean, going into Tomb of Horrors, it's like, okay, the goal is how far do you get before you die? That's really what you're playing for. We never played this adventure, but we ran into a vampire when we were just learning to play. We got up around, what's this supposed to be, 5th, 7th level? We were up around those levels, and we ran to a vampire. And when that encounter was done, and he shifted Gassy's forms, we were out of there, because there was no killing that. Pre-art! <laughs> okay. Love it. Well, my number three. <laughs> the NPC of Irina. The woman who's been bit twice. For 1983, she's not entirely a damsel in distress. She has Tood and is willing to travel with the adventurers and do stuff. That was a plus. I liked that. Again, for 1983, she's not Imperator Furiosa or anything, but she's got some independent streak, which is nice. She's not just girl hostage. (laughs) Right. She's not in a chainmail bikini Mm. and she's got some agency. On the other hand, I notice all the women who are specifically named and detailed, except for the gypsy fortune teller, have charismas of 16 to 18. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But again, ladies and gentlemen, the 1980s. (laughs) So I'll I'll give for the era, the Hickmans, a a Benny on that one, because that was, you know, ahead of its time, too. 
All right, number two, Liz. Number two. Don't take one of mine. I I, I think it's almost inevitable at this point. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. It's a module. It's very small. There, we can't help but step on each other's toes. Yeah, especially thirty odd pages. Yeah, yeah. But my number two, one of the cool magical items that you can find is something called the Sun Sword. Excellent, mm. Lords of Light. Yes, <laughs> it's like I cannot see Sun Sword and not think of Thundar the Barbarian. Demon like, dogs. Thunder the Barbarian, 1981, module 1983. Just saying. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. If I wound up getting that, I'd be going Lords of Light and Demon Dogs. It's like, especially if we were encountering wargs. It's like, I'd be doing that all over the place. I, I don't think I'd be able to stop. <laughs> you almost have to, yeah. really. I mean. The other players would probably have their characters kill mine just to get me to stop. Be quiet. <laughs> But, but yeah, it's like I read Sun Sword and as I immediately started thinking Thundar. And that kind of took me out of the feeling of the setting a little. 1983, there's occasionally a, a tongue-in-cheek here and there, even for something this serious. <laughs> mm. All right, Corbett, two. Uh, this is more of a notation because it still has elements of the old-style of uh, modules one element that was specific and i had kind of forgotten they did this every time i read an old module i forget they do this but uh they give everything stats and i know yeah you want stats for all the creatures you're going to be fighting but they'd give like the butcher's wife stats and because you never knew with first edition players it's like are they gonna go hacking through the I was, town i was gonna say you remember why they did that back then you know i, I know i just I was, I, as soon as i read that i was like well i could probably take out the butcher's wife in one hit and then that kid down the street i could definitely do in half a swipe and if i come back and take the butcher and it, it's like there's like tactically lining out how i'm gonna destroy the town i mean i swear to god when liz was talking about swapping out the horses the carriage horses for nightmares in my head i went oh great that's more xp <laughs> oh yeah i can't oh, yeah. i can't tell you i was like how many times is somebody like how much xp can i get from killing that flock of ducks why <laughs> <laughs> There was a Commodore 64 game back in the 80s for the Friday the 13th movie. And you're wandering around with little 8-bit animated figures. You would hack at one of the NPCs. And if that's really Jason, or at least the killer, then they would flash into this black figure and you would know. Otherwise, you could hack them and they would just take damage. The characters are getting killed around you and you're supposed to run and find the find the dead body and try to figure out who the killer is. I and my high school friends, we got to where we raced Jason to see who would get a higher body count before the end of the game. <laughs> right on. Like the little 12-year-old murder hobos you were. God bless That's you. That's right. <laughs> well, 15. I thought you were going to say that you started indiscriminately stabbing everybody just to see if you could find who Jason was. Well, that's how I started. (laughs) And then I accidentally killed a person, and I'm like, you know, if I just kill them all, I prevent him from killing any of them. They were 15. So I won't lose any points. Then they turned into the driving (laughs) game. Oh, look, it's a wheelchair. That's 10 points. (laughs) It's the only way to save them, by killing them all. We, I saved them all from Jason. Anyway, <laughs> jump oh, two. Man. We were so bad in the 70s, we once got bounced out of art class for 
not stopping with dead baby jokes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure kids are still some version of that way today, but we were awful. Number two, let's see. You referred to this already, but I think this is maybe one of the earliest uses, certainly that I've ever been exposed to, of isometric maps in an adventure. For 1983, just the design and layout of those was wonderful. I mean, just at a glance, you understand how all the levels work. Castle Ravenloft itself is huge and complex. And this immediately reminded me of one of my favorite Judges Guild adventures, which is Teagle Manor. Teagle Manor is big, huge, and just yes. crammed with stuff. I bet the Hickmans had, had read some of that stuff, too, because it's also old school in that there's rooms with encounters and stuff, and there's rooms without stuff in it, just empty rooms. But there are red herring rooms that are there to freak you out. The armor that doesn't do anything. It's just sitting there with a sword. The skeletons that are actually not undead. They're just skeletons. Look at the frequency and the map. Those guys are like just genius level trying to get you to relax your guard. So you walk into the room with the actual undead and just go, ah, that's just a statue. And you walk in through the wrong door and it's not just a statue anymore. Very evil. Very good. Removed my number one. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Wow. I, you know, great minds I'm getting, think, yeah, think alike. Yeah, my list is getting bashed here. You're the host. You can always go first. Yeah, that's true. This is what I get. Okay, my number two. Speaking of the tongue-in-cheekness of some of the encounters, and this is reminding me a bit of a something that would have been in Tejel Manor. At one point, you can come across Strahd's bedroom, and he has this huge walk-in closet, and it specifically says... That the closet is full of nothing but capes and formal wear. (laughs) All black, right? All black, yes. (laughs) So I'm like, that's pretty sweet. I like that. So no pajamas. And an upset messy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's cat dinner time, isn't it? Yeah, it it is now six o'clock on the dot. Okay, Liz, number one. (laughs) Number one. Oh, gosh, are we at number one already? Okay. The holy symbol of Ravenkind Mm. does not have a single raven on it. (laughs) Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I call foul. Oh. Oh. I think I wrote that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know why there was a groaning spirit in this adventure. (laughs) That's my number one. (laughs) Okay. Corbett. I was wondering if they ever made a sequel to it, so I looked it up. Uh, there, there was a Ravenloft yes. 2, The mm-hmm. House on Griffin, Griffin Hill. Griffin Hill. It's not good. <laughs> but I might choose. It, it's going to be my next choice, thanks to Jim. So It was interesting, and it made me think, like, you know it would be better? Because you want Strahd, you have this big buildup of Strahd. Wouldn't it be better? It's the 80s. If you find out there's some bigger, badder thing that Strahd was also keeping away. And the only way to keep it away is to make them think that Strahd's still around. So you have to drag out Strahd's body and walk around with him over the weekend, let's what, say. A, a weekend at Strahd's? A weekend yeah. at Strahd's. <laughs> Raven Love 2. <laughs> See, we can write this. <laughs> Greetings, my peasants. Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> use, use magic words like bodacious. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Jim, one. <laughs> well, technically, I can't steal anymore, right? <laughs> you could still steal mine. It's kind of a continuation of this is just set in the brutal world of first edition AD&D. I love the way they set up Strahd. 
because if mm. he's played correctly and well, he's not going down ever, ever, ever. If you look at his stats, his spell list alone, besides his vampire powers, but I was looking at his stats in 2023. If you said the big boss of the entire adventure is walking around with 55 hit points. People would be going, oh, yeah. yeah." And a few levels higher, you know, when your magic users have got disintegrate and stuff, maybe, maybe that's, that's right. But he can, he can cream this whole uh, normal fifth and seventh level party with 55 hit points. I mean, oh, yeah. The Mm. regular monster manual vampires, and they're in this too, are, are hard enough to kill. But a genius level Strahd with spells, waves of minions and monsters, and a third of them level drain too, and a home turf advantage. I mean, it would be an easy adventure to say, okay, boys, we're going to go storm a type 4 demon in his lair in the 7th level of hell. Yep. Mm. Totally Taylor Swift. not easy. Yeah, we're going to go storm Taylor Swift at one of her concerts. <laughs> right, you'd have about that level of luck. The mob would get you. Yep. The hordes of minions. Yeah, so that's a good point. I don't think Strahd is as powerful as Taylor Swift, but nope. still. <laughs> well, maybe in the current, you know, fifth edition adventure, uh, Curse of Taylor, maybe, maybe <laughs> in there it is. She but. does seem to anyway. be aging very slowly now that you pointed nope. out. Nope. <laughs> okay, my number one. Talking about the crypts down in the catacombs. A lot of them are pretty standard type crypts, but others are very, as Jim sort of implied, Teachel Manor-ish. Oh, they're awesome. There's one where the admiral who built the biggest fleet ever owned by a landlocked country. And my two personal favorites, a crypt of the royal chef. You go in, there's a skeleton in a chef's in a chef's hat. Isn't there some stuff inside the chef's hat? You know, I think like, so, yeah. It's like like why, a scroll or something. You know, who, who would put treasure inside a corpse in a chef's hat, hat in the first place? Who'd put a corpse in a chef's a hat? A little undead <laughs> French rat that was yanking on his hair to make him do stuff. I sense another sequel. <laughs> <laughs> the rat chef. And my personal favorite, the Crypt for Bucephalus the Wonder Horse. Stated like that on the crypt, they built a crypt for a horse. He was a wonder horse. A wonder horse. Well, yeah. I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) So do we. Alexander's horse. So, hey. All right. So that's my number one. That's our top five. Let's go to another pod break and then let's see what makes save and what goes bleh. Broadcasting from the back of a van. What have we gotten into? It's Radio Free Muncie. Three dudes talking about gaming and comics. We're going to have some old school versus new school discussion. All through the lens of the Knights of the Dinner Table comic strips. Layer of the gazebo, classic strip. So join us at anchor.fm slash Radio Free Muncie. a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. Look at that! 
The Hendersons are getting a new fence. Ah, who cares? They're swingers. I want a new fence. We just got one two years ago after your parents were killed. I want a new fence. That's it. We're never having sex again. Need a home loan fast? At the American Bank of Los Santos, we'll help you get the debt you need to make life easier. We'll show you how to look richer and be poorer. Your home is your equity. What exactly are you saving it for? You need to impress people fast, not in 20 years. It's only a risk if you get into money troubles or the economy changes, which doesn't seem likely. We know living in the suburbs is a constant competition, where you're defined by your lawn and your siding. Call American Bank of Los Santos when you need to add a rec room addition with a jungle swing or a jacuzzi for eight. Now that the kids have moved out and have drug problems of their own, maybe it's time to install a luxury marble wet bar so you can get drunk in private. American Bank of Los Santos. Dreams take money. Why worry about tomorrow if you look inadequate today? What makes the save, and what is going to take? Free art! What makes a save, and what goes bleh? And this time, we'll start with Jim. What makes the save for me about this is, as far as I can figure out, this is the start of, and maybe even the pinnacle of high-concept adventures that start just eschewing the normal tropes of classic dungeon crawling that we were very used to at the time. I mean, this would still play great today. That makes a save. Uh, what doesn't make the save is dramatic pause. I got nothing. This was TSR at their very best. Adventures got prettier and shinier after this, but I don't think they ever got any better than this. Tracy Hickman, Ooh. you can send a PayPal payment to Podcast at gmail.com. I'll let that one out. Okay, Corbett. And yes, I intended Saverdie. Anyway. <laughs> I think what made the save for me, though, is actually reading up the history made me feel a little more in tune with it because it's that the couple got the job to go to TSR because they needed, I think when they sold Pharaoh, they needed money to pay for their kids' shoes. And you know when you're you're making money, I mean, I know Jim doesn't know what I'm talking about, but when you're surviving... <laughs> Oh, no, no. I'm on, on just an adventure game. I, I'm with you because I, I, I read up on the history, too, and that thing of when they decided to move from Utah to Lake Geneva to take this job, their dad's trying to talk them out of it because he's got a fry cook job at a great restaurant for him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm. And they're like, no, this is going to be okay. And and they are playing hardcore. They're real players. They're not just somebody who's like, I can write and I can I can draw. Like, they were really into it. Ravenloft is the game they played five years in a row before it got published. So it wasn't like... I'd be willing to bet money on Halloween. I'm very, very exact to that. But it's just it's just the fact that they really, really put the effort into it. And that really makes the save for me. I mean, the, the game is good. Game is well-written. Okay. They were hardcore. I like that Lara is the one that introduced Tracy to D&D in the first place. Mm -hmm. I thought for a while they were a lesbian couple. It's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, by the way. <laughs> Just for anybody who's not. <laughs> I, I, I had a male hey. classmate named Tracy when I was in middle and high school, so... Yep. Yeah, there, yeah, there was. It was a dude's name too. It's okay. I just surprised. Okay. Uh, what doesn't make the save? I I was kind of stretching myself. Uh, pff, I, I wish there was more art in it. I may I may joke about the stripper thing, but the art's still really good, and I wish there was a little more. But it was still really good, so it's fine. Okay. All right, Liz. Okay, uh, makes the save despite D and D not generally having an eighteenth nineteenth century background. 
unless a DM chooses to give their own campaign world one. Uh, Ravenloft does an excellent job giving that 19th century Gothic feel to its adventure. I've heard people talk about the obvious similarities between it and Bram Stoker's Dracula, but there are also quite a few parallels, intentional or not, between the plot of Ravenloft and that of the very first published Gothic novel ever, The Castle of Otranto, by Horace Walpole in 1764. I don't know if that was done on purpose or not. If it was, I mean, deep cut and hat tip to the Hickmans. They, they did their homework, whether this was something they intended to do or not. What doesn't make the save? For me, it's not billed as such within the text of the module, but as written, I firmly think this needs to be treated as a one-shot adventure and not try to drop mm. it into an ongoing campaign. Ideally, it should be treated as a convention-style game with a time limit. I think there's a lot of elements in this adventure that if you tried to put it into an ongoing campaign, your players are going to see this as rather railroady if you try to shoehorn it in. But they're natural to convention games, like A4 originally was. And that one also did not do well being shoehorned into a campaign-style adventure. <laughs> well, um, you remember when Chase ran this for the second edition group? Mm -hmm. it We had a malfunction in our planar travel and that's how he dropped us in yeah you can figure out a way to drop you in but once you're there it's very convention style you've got a specific goal that you have to achieve in mm -hmm. order to win and the fog as has been mentioned keeping you from leaving whether you want to or not you've got to achieve this thing if you want to get out and because the DM is encouraged to run Strahd exactly the same way the players are running their own characters, you are genuinely being pitted player versus DM in this. Again, like you would be in a convention game where you're trying to beat the clock and get to the end in order to win. So I really think that this should have been billed as something more like that, like you were talking about earlier with Tomb of Horrors. You know, this should have been, it's like, this is a convention style adventure to me. Okay. Uh, my save. I remember one of the things that made this stand out to me at the time, and Jim has already kind of touched on it a bit, is it was so different from against the giants or the drow or keep on the borderlands or you know horror on the hill or any of these you know traditional adventures for classic or ad and d it was so different and that was really exciting to put on players that this is something completely different this isn't just kill the monsters take their stuff so that was a lot of fun especially to run at the time although you know, I had to work some players through it because they tried to treat it like it was kill the monster, take their stuff, and they got whacked. What goes bleh? <laughs> I have to say, the whole shtick with the sun sword really bugged me. It just hmm. struck me as such a huge MacGuffin and the only way to resolve things. And I know it fits the genre, it fits gothic, it fits a way to deal with what is a as pointed out, a very tough vampire, but it just bugged me. I, I don't. Do you just I don't like not believe in the Lords of Light? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, time and place. 
genres a little shift is a little jarring. Right. And yeah, that that bugs me a bit. Again, that I really had to stretch it because I really enjoyed this module. So, you know, I had to really reach to try to come up with something. What would make yeah. my freaking day is if Tracy Hickman heard this podcast and wrote us all about how since they had been running this as an annual Halloween thing for five years, he invented the Sun Sword in 1975 or whatever. That would be pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Even if it would take away all our Thunder jokes, but you know. It'd still be worth it. Just to know that he listened to the podcast. That would be yeah. I'd still make those jokes. Well, we can always depend on you for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been I6 Ravenloft by Tracy and Laura Hickman. Hope everybody's enjoyed listening to us. And if not, write us and let us know. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Me and the Sun Sword say farewell. <laughs> Ooh. Fancy. Adios. <laughs> Bleh, yark. The Save for Half Podcast is a production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Save for Half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Half. I'm more than 20s, I